Thank you for listening to The Wonder Podcast. I'm Joe Vacanti. It's our desire that you would take this message and that you would choose to live the life God always imagined for you. Second Kings 4 says this. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into these vessels. When one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So we are in a season here at Wonder called Dying to Live. And this week when it was really cold outside, it felt like, is anything ever going to live again? I love this story. It's the story of the prophet named Elisha. Elisha learned under the prophet Elijah. And you might, have, might remember Elijah. He's the one that went up um, in the chariot of fire into heaven. He's one of the few people that never experienced death on earth. But Elisha served under Elijah and then proceeded after him. And he served God for over 60 years, which is quite a feat in any generation. Many people do not have longevity in their jobs, in their relationships, um, in life in general. So 60 years of ministry, he did many miracles, and he was known by his humility and love for people. And I love that his name, Elisha, means God is my salvation. So last week, um, we went in and smelled some things that were not salvation-like, I I just knew it. When we walked into the silo, I was just waiting for it. You know, we're excited. We're showing everybody the silo. Like, here's the future. We're not going to be moving big tables around and doing all this crazy stuff in the future. Still stinks in here. I'm like, never mind the hundreds of thousands of dollars of, you know, heat in the floor and, you know, all this cleanup, beautiful, bright light windows. It stinks in here. If you know about silos or don't know, we've learned more than we ever wanted to know, I think, and we'll probably continue to learn more about them. But silos were used to, are used to store grain, or in our case, it was used to store flaxseed. And you know, the point of storing it is not just to keep it in there. The point of storing it is so that it can be emptied out and distributed and used for another purpose and then filled up again. But what happens is, if you leave certain materials like grain and things in silos for years and heat and then cold and water and all of that stuff gets in there, it stinks. You know, we're not any different than that. 
When we get filled up with knowledge, religion, experiences, um, our own desires, and we just keep it in there for ourselves, we can start to stink too. I love in this story, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets called to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? You know, many times we're crying out to God about our problems and our issues and all of that stuff. And we just want something to change. And I think sometimes God is like, what do you actually want? Now we read this story and it's like, well, isn't it obvious? Here's this lady. Her sons are about to be taken away. She can't pay her debts. She wants Elisha to step in and fix her problems. But Elisha asks her the question, what do you want me to do for you? And I think many times it's the same with us, with God. You know, sometimes we get so stuck in our situations that it's just complaining and being mad and frustrated at him that we're not actually stopping to think, What do we actually want him to do? What are we actually asking him to do? And then the question I have is, do we really want him to do it? Because I think sometimes, like the silos with the junk stuck in it, we actually don't want him to step in and do the things that would actually clean that up. We're actually comfortable in the mess, in the smell. We've gotten used to being like that. I also love about this that she was actually the wife of a prophet. She was somebody, her husband who had died, she was a widow. Her husband had served God. In fact, she makes a point to say that. And how many times when we're going through stuff in our lives, do we not say, you know what, God, I've served you for years. You know what, God, I've kept my way pure. You know what, God, I didn't cheat on my taxes or take that shortcut that I could have taken. And yet still here I find myself devastated, poor, broken, in debt. Why, God? And you know what? During that time, being a widow was not like it was today. Of course, you had the same emotional sadness. But widows and orphans then were extremely vulnerable. A lot of widows actually had to prostitute themselves. Their life went from bad to worse. And then we see that there was much at stake because her sons were about to be taken away to be slaves. They had a debt that they couldn't pay. You know, we see this over and over again, that many times the ones that are broken, the ones that have experienced loss, the ones that have grown up being mistreated by their families or by the world, the unassuming, the ones that are running on fumes are the ones that God wants to use to do a miracle through. First Corinthians tells us this in chapter one, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, which is my life verse, says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly on my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, 
insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the way that God uses. These are the people that God uses. So I hope this morning, on this cold February morning, that this brings you hope. If you are crushed, if you feel weak, if you feel unworthy, if you feel like God has forgotten you, you are the exact kind of person that he wants to use. Joel 2 says this, And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. The days that we are living in, I believe, although it seems dark and it seems hopeless and it seems confusing where we don't even, can't even say what is a man, what is a woman. We can't even make sense of any of it. And it feels like, where is morality? Where is faith? Where is hope in our day? It feels darker and distorted. I believe that we are entering a time, like Joel talked about, that God is going to pour out his spirit among the everyday people, the unexpected ones, the ones that have felt forgotten or unworthy for God to use. This is what he's about to do. And so the story continues. He says this to her, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere from your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. I love that. She says, I have nothing, but she had something. What is in your hands? You might think you have nothing, but you have something. In Africa where you work, uh, they say, as long as there is life, there is hope. As long as there is life in you, God has a purpose for you. He has something that he wants to do. What I love is our God is a God of multiplication. With him, our one little thing times his infinite things can become something incredible. I love the story in the Bible where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it starts out with this little boy with two two fish and five loaves. And he comes to the disciples and he gives it. And Jesus turns it into enough to feed 5,000, but not just to feed 5,000, that there was enough left over, that everybody was full to the point of being stuffed and there was still extra left over. And I think about that little boy. You know, the reason why the disciples wanted Jesus to do something to feed the people is they had been sitting out hearing Jesus' teaching for many days, and they were very, very hungry. They had just stayed out on that mountainside. And that little boy, he had actually planned ahead. He actually had a lunch with them, and nobody else did. But that little boy chose to put his lunch on the line and to give it to God to see what he could do. You know, we always think about in the context of the other side of the story where they all ate. But what if Jesus didn't multiply that? And he just took it and had a little snack with him and his disciples. That little boy had to give up what was in his hands, all that he had. And sometimes God does that. He takes the little that we have and he says, yes, even that, I want that little bit too. But then he can multiply it. That boy could have sat there, ate his lunch, Felt good, continued to hear Jesus talk, and gone about his day. 
but instead he gave it over. He trusted Jesus with what he had. And now we don't know his name, but we know of him because he got to be a part of one of Jesus' greatest miracles. We have to let go what's in our hands and trust God with it. And I love this idea, too, where Elisha tells her to go to your neighbors and see what they have. You know, she was putting a lot on the line, not only giving up her little bit of oil that she had left, likely to make bread to be able to eat before her sons were taken away. She had to also risk her reputation, which she was already seen as somebody very low in the area by being a widow. So now she has to go to her neighbors and knock on their door and be like, can I have your empty jars? Like, that's weird. You know, go ask for a cup of sugar or flour or whatever, but can I have your empty containers? Like, what what is she doing? But sometimes God asks us to bring other people into what he wants to do. And I love that the more empty jars that were there together, the more that they were able to do together. But God needs empty vessels, Everyone values what's inside, but God values the container. Someone comes up and they say, can I have a cup of coffee? Well, sure, of course, we give them a cup of coffee. We don't just give them the coffee, right? That would be weird. They would burn their hands. Would you like coffee? Yeah, here, okay, put your hands out and we'll pour it into your hands. Both the coffee and the cup together create something wonderful for those who love coffee. If you don't, you're weird. Um... But both are needed together. I believe that his eyes are searching the earth, looking for empty vessels, that our world today needs an outpouring of the Spirit of God. He takes what is ordinary, and he pours his extraordinary into that. And together, we can bring life into the dark world. And then in the story, it says this, And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour it into all those vessels, and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured into it. Now it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. She had to start by pouring out the little bit that she had, because she didn't know. Now she went, she got all these empty vessels, and what's going to happen? Just like the boy who gave up his lunch. Just like us many times, we take that step of faith and we give God the little bit that we have, and sometimes there's a, a time in between there where we're like, Um, nothing's happening here. And so she has all of these empty vessels and she has to, in that last moment of trust, pour out the little bit that she has left. But you know what? Elijah understood what that was like. Elijah, when he was called by God, was considered a pretty wealthy man. He was out plowing his field. He had oxen, which you had, if you had oxen during that time, you were considered pretty wealthy and he had a field to plant in. And when God called him through the prophet Elijah, Elisha immediately went, he burned all of his yokes and all of his farming equipment, killed the oxen, threw a big party and left, burned it all and never looked back. And so he had to then from that point, live his life by faith and trust in God. So he's not asking her to do something that he hadn't done himself. 
But you know what? You might be saying, well, Kate, you don't understand. I I tried that before. I've poured myself out for God. I've made myself available. I've given everything that I've had. And I have had seasons where I have felt empty and dry and hurt and broken. And you know what? This pandemic, I gave all I could to keep the faith. I've I've done it. I've tried. And you know what? For this season, I'm just going to get poured into you. I'm just going to get filled up. I'm going to take my jar and I'm going to put it on the shelf for a time because I'm tired of being poured out and empty. But, like in this story, her sons were at risk of being taken off as slaves. There was a debt to be paid. We can't waste one day with what God has put in us and put it on the shelf. Salvation is needed. And you know, you notice that when the vessels were full, the oil stopped flowing. Just like the silos. When they're full of junk that's not being emptied out, nothing new can be poured into it. So it just sits there and rots and stinks and it's useless. Vessels aren't meant for permanent storage. They're meant for a purpose, to be filled and then poured out, to be useful. Maybe you're in your life right now saying, God, I haven't felt you. You sing the songs, I want a fresh wind or Holy Spirit come, but you don't feel anything. You just feel empty and you just feel um, like his presence has just passed you by. Maybe it's because you're, you're so filled up with stuff that there's no room for him to come in, to use you, to pour his spirit into you. I think it's a problem that we're seeing a lot right now in Christianity, especially in America. We go to our churches, we go to our Bible studies and our prayer meetings, and those are all important but we get so filled up and we can't even pack it all in. It's not just for us. The purpose of the vessel is to receive the oil, to receive what God has for us, and then to pour it out into others. And then to, yes, risk that maybe we'll feel empty for a little bit. And what does our emptiness do? It forces us to turn to him. What does tragedy do when we feel empty and broken? We turn to him and then he can do something new in and through us. 2 Corinthians says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In case you didn't know, you're made of dust. I'm made of dust. And that dust is borrowed. And not to get grim, but when when we're done here, we immediately start to return to dust. We, are tre- we have treasure in jars of clay. Our clay, our dust is borrowed. It's temporary. And how many times do we get stuck in the sway of life that we forget that we are temporarily here? We are, have eternal souls, but we are temporarily on this earth. We will not pass this way again, even though we want to pass out of this room and not be here again. We can't waste one single moment of what God wants to do in our lives because we only have this moment for today, and then it's gone. And in the future, none of us will even be here. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to be empty vessels on a shelf or filled up vessels who have experienced the love of Jesus, the power that he can bring into situations, the light he can bring into the darkness, and we're just going to stick it on a shelf because we don't want to get uncomfortable, because we don't want to experience what it might feel to be empty. We don't want to risk that we might be alone or we might have to go through some things. No. 
because there's a debt to be paid. There are people whose eternal destinies are not heaven. But the Bible says that for those who are in Christ, absent with the body and present with the Lord, for those who are not in Christ, it's eternal separation. That's why we're here. That's why we started a church in this weird place, in this difficult situation, and doing all of the things that we're doing. Not to have our own preference or our own experiences, but because there's a lost, dying world that has a debt that they need to have paid, and they need to know that Jesus came and he paid that debt for them. But his spirit, just like the coffee, needs a cup. It needs a vessel to go into. It needs empty and available vessels. Our Savior paid it all. He emptied himself. Blood and water flowed on that cross. And then he went into a borrowed tomb so that our borrowed flesh and dust could be filled with his spirit. And one day we could have eternal life in him and others could too. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What's in your vessel? Is there sin in your vessel? We don't like to talk about that, right? What are you, what are you putting into your mind in your mundane life when you're bored and looking for an escape? They talk about the dopamine hits that we get when we scroll through social media. But what are you letting sneak into your mind? What words are coming out of your heart? What are you doing with your time? How are you spending it? What is in your jar? Is there even room for the Holy Spirit to pour himself into so that you could be used to pour out into others that so desperately need him? You know, Jesus was called the Messiah. Messiah literally means the anointed one. Oil was also used to anoint kings during that time. But oil was also used to keep lamps burning. So back to our silo. If you don't know, it was um, designed by an, um, and the business run in there was run by a man named Spencer Kellogg. And I've been trying to do research about him and the company and the building and all of that stuff over time. And this last week, one of the things I learned about him, Mr. Kellogg, who he was a Christian, and he had a favorite hymn. And his favorite hymn was called, Keep the Lower Lights Burning. And it was based on the story, a famous preacher named D.L. Moody gave this message, and it was about a true story. One night on Lake Erie by Cleveland, a huge storm came in. And the captain was trying to make it back to the harbor safely. And he could see the light from the lighthouse, but usually they would have lower lights burning. The lights down at the harbor would be, would be on, their oil lamps would be on, and so you could actually make your way in the darkness and see where the shore was. But that night, the lower lights were not on. So they tried their best to go by the light of the lighthouse, but the ship crashed into um, the harbor, and many people died. And while D.L. Moody was telling this story, there was a famous hymn writer in the audience. And I was looking up about these lower lights and what it all meant. It said, a lower light or leading light is a nautical term. These oil-powered guiding lights are located away from the main lighthouse along the shoreline 
in a harbor area with the purpose of maneuvering ships safely through narrow channels at night around the rocks and other dangerous but unseen obstacles. And the idea is this. Jesus is the lighthouse. We don't need to try to be him. We can leave him in his place of glory. He is the highest light, the name above every name. But he has made us these empty vessels that just like the widow, he wants to pour his oil into so we can be little lights along the shoreline so that when the everyday people are going through what they're going through in their lives, they might see the light in you and they might be able to maneuver those narrow passages and obstacles and they might safely come ashore. And I'm just gonna close by reading you this hymn. It says, brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore, but to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the wave. Some poor, struggling, fainting seaman you may rescue, you may save. Dark the night of sin has settled, loud the angry billows roar, Eager eyes are waiting, longing for the lights along the shore. Trim your feeble lamp, my brother, some poor sailor tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the wave. Some poor struggling, fainting seamen, you may rescue, you may save. Thanks to all who give to Wonder Church. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. Let this talk do only what Jesus can. And live your life in such a way that will make the world wonder. There must be more.